Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. So last week we covered the Battle of Oldendorf and the Hessian occupation of Westphalia. The battle resulting in a clear-cut Protestant victory, though the removal of the troops from said army, reducing the long-term advantage impact from that battle. And with the Hessians, the situation eventually stabilized, with the Imperials and Protestants both taking chunks from the territory, the only ones really losing there being the Westphalians, along with the Swedish Imperial War and the Dutch-Spanish War remaining separate, and the French doing their own stuff. So, with that covered, let's get started. With peace efforts for the war in Germany basically impossible until Sweden's control over northern and central Germany was broken or at least loosened, Wallenstein was in a bind. He had an army of around 72,000 in Bohemia and Silesia, and 30,000 in various garrisons across Alsace, Westphalia, Lake Constance, and the Danube, and was put up the task to push the Swedes back. Wallenstein's plan hinged on getting Saxony and Brandenburg to abandon the Swedes, as it would cut off the Swedish Baltic territory from the rest of their lands they took, leaving the cut-off places easier to take. And as my source talked about and I agree with, Wallenstein seemed like somebody who was going to be more fair and wanted this war to end, basically as one of the premier generals. So he was well aware of the day-to-day and the brutality of it. So he was someone that could be reasonably understood that would probably want to create a compromise to keep long-term issues from rising again in a peace. This included things like reversing at least part of the Edict of Restitution and letting Sweden hold on to part of Pomerania so they could withdraw with honor from the war. Oxenstierna even preferred to negotiate with Wallenstein over the Danish or other people, the Danish still wanting to be like a third-party negotiator. The Bohemian exiles in the Swedish forces also acted as intermediaries as Wallenstein reported this to Ferdinand. But... But as was obvious, not everyone was up to compromise the same way that Wallenstein was. Brandenburg stood to lose Pomerania out of this, and I can't see Wallenstein keeping promises to the Bohemian exiles, whose land had been owned by new people for years, and he had one of the custodians of the breaking of their lands. Vienna also grew suspicious at the fact that Wallenstein was giving people individual terms or negotiations, which eventually leaked out, as naturally would happen, like when the Swedes captured a letter to the Duke of Lorraine, which would exclude Lorraine from Germany as part of a deal to support the Catholics. I can see why Ferdinand would not be happy about this, as it would make it hard for him to know what terms were being offered and the mix-up and why I should get crossed. There's a lot of small issues that could happen here. But Wallenstein, in all of this, missed out on an opportunity to take advantage of the chaos of the Swedish mutiny, along with other things in the future. Mutinies are really good for an enemy to take advantage of and hurt an opponent if they're sort of caught in their own civil warring or mutiny or whatever. But he did nothing about this. So his army stayed in the territory of the Habsburgs. So they took the brunt of the economic cost of the war as their troops had to stay there. Their land was taken for money and stuff like that. Well, not literally taken, but money was taken from them. I guess I'm supposed to phrase it. There was an initial windfall of money and gear, but by 1633, that had drained away and men were forced to be billeted in people's houses. Although he left the biggest critics of that from being billeted, so the concentration was focused on landowners and peasants, which caused many of them to flee or not be happy, so that created an issue of food, and the food that was there would go to the troops, and that food wasn't going to the war, so you can see the issue there. It creates a free fall, basically. But Wallenstein, even with this cost, stayed in place, sending messengers to Thurn and Arnhem to negotiate, which was timed perfectly with the formation of the Heilbronn League, although Saxony was too worried to leave Sweden on their own, so that didn't really happen. Arnhem was suspicious of this, as Wallenstein outnumbered his forces two to one, though he did try to push Johann George to pursue independent objectives, although Saxony lacked money to really do that, so they kind of had to 
to stay on the Swedish leash to get money. The talks, however, did alarm Sweden, and Oxenstierna sent a Swedish officer to take control of the Saxon army in the area. Well, not take control directly at the point, but take control if they had second thoughts. And also sent trusted officers to Silesia with Brandenburg units to ensure they followed Sweden and not Saxony. To be fair, I would have done the same thing in that position, and it was clear the Sweden was keeping an eye on this and looking at the risks. But like I showed before, and will keep happening, diplomatic relations were tense across the board, even among allies. So this wasn't unusual for this sort of diplomatic trade and stuff like that. But by May 1633, he was on the move, taking 25,000 troops and 28 cannons to join Gallus, who had troops in Upper Silesia. Arnim, who was in the area, saw he was outnumbered and pulled back, retreating northward to Lendenwan near Schweidnitz. Wallenstein closed in on that army, but at the last minute, Wallenstein offered a truce to Arnim on June 7th for two weeks to continue talks, which lasted until July 7th, so... It was clear that truce got extended by another two weeks or so. Nothing came of it, and Wallenstein tried to surprise the garrison at Schweidnitz, but was repulsed, retreating to Wilkow, Arnhem camps nearby. On August 11th, Wallenstein sent Hulk with 10,000 men to put pressure on Saxony. But after two weeks, Hulk pulled back, Wallenstein ordering to have dinner, or dinners with Arnhem that tried to continue negotiations and tried to get them to back down peacefully. But when the two met for dinner, Hulk fell ill. It was initially feared that he was poisoned, but as it became clear he was dying and suffering of plague. He was left in his coach. No one could see him. So he eventually died on. So he eventually died on the roadside alone because his coachman had gone to get a priest. Which that's kind of sad. I mean, I never really covered him, but being alone on the roadside and your thing because you were dying of plague would not be fun. Wallenstein really wanted to avoid a big battle, it seemed, or at least avoid major conflict, but it seemed this negotiation was getting nowhere and was probably annoying his allies more than anything, which was true as the Spanish were not happy about this turn of events. They had supported him being reinstated with the idea that money would come to the Imperials and they would end the war quickly with Sweden and support the Spanish against the Dutch, but Wallenstein had basically said, no, that's your war, not ours, so we're not focusing on that, which would certainly not be helpful for diplomatic relationships. Wallenstein, as I've talked about before, wasn't a great court guy. He was a general first, and this kind of shows here. But continuing on the Spanish train, Olivares had plans for a large intervention along the Rhine, seeing the deteriorating war front, or at least the stagnated war front. The effort on the Spanish was to try to harmonize contradictory goals. One was to try to support the empire without going through Wallenstein, aka talking to somebody else or to the emperor directly. And another idea was to try to revive the idea of getting Archduke Ferdinand to become the king of the Romans, what a high-ranking position was, and that failed, but that just made it harder for him to get support for the Army of Flanders, which had been blocked off since 1632 by the Dutch. So Feria, the governor of Milan, was given orders to form an army to try to open that road in May 1633, which would fulfill the objective of opening up supplies and communications, along with putting Philip IV's son, Fernando, as the new governor of Flanders, although we all know that the governor at the time, which was Isabella, who the son was trying to replace, was dying and would be dead by December. However, Spain lacked manpower and had been dwindling it for years, so Feria had to gather troops from multiple sources, such as Germans or Burgundians, in theory gathering 20,000 men that would face the French and Dutch to restore the Spanish dominance of the Netherlands, or at least make it more even at the moment. However, Fernando was sick by the time Feria was ready to leave, so Feria went ahead with 11,000 men containing Spaniards and Italians, and they were the first to transit to Valtellina in 10 years. The previous year, Richelieu had paid Huguenots to maintain 
Santana Garrison along the way, although this didn't work as he was aware that the Huguenot leader was talking to the Protestant Swiss and would think of something, so he had to span that army, or most of it at the very least, so if something did happen, it wouldn't be as big a threat. But the downside of that is in 1633, they were disbanded, so he sent out an emergency order to get them reformed, but by the time that order went out and it was starting, Spanish troops were already in the valley, at least their vanguard. And this new army brought about reactions from Germany as things were happening. The Swedes had begun campaigning in Bavaria again, and Ferdinand had begged the Spanish to send that army to Germany, seeing Wallenstein was not actively engaging the enemy. He was fighting defensively and keeping enemies from advancing, but he wasn't moving forward. Feria then sent a messenger to see what was going on, and found out that Wallenstein had been setting another truce which would last until October, although at the time it was only a month, but would go on for longer, obviously, as this was clearly following Wallenstein's plan to try to, like, woo the enemy away or try to diplomatically break down relations. But this was the last straw, and, and Ferdinand stripped Wallenstein of sole command, placing Aldringen under Maximilian's command in Bavaria, which also caused Max to agree to Spanish intervention, receiving a small stipend to the end of the year from the Spanish. So it was very clear Wallenstein's methods were not working as well as he intended at the moment, and clearly Ferdinand wanted him to do something, the Spanish pushing things to change. The wars were getting closer and closer, and it was only a matter of time till things escalated and this became a European-wide war, as Spanish troops, at least theoretically, were coming to help, and Wallenstein didn't do himself any favors by avoiding battle and letting Swedes have a wider berth of freedom to fight in skirmish and such, and none of these truces he formed were really lasting or doing anything. So everyone seemed to be wasting their time, and this was only draining more and more money. This might pay out, but only time will tell. But for now, we end here, and next time we cover the Siege of Constance and more of the war. I want to thank you all for listening in, and I hope you are enjoying it. Social media links will be in the description box or on the links themselves. You can email me at 3DECOT at gmail.com. Reminder that I have Patreon. Thanks to those who support me. Interview and spread the word, and I'll see you guys next time.